0: Jones on a Tuesday, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you, and we found out, Jonesy, about the punishment last evening, late afternoon into the evening, the punishment levied down by the National Basketball Association for the, uh, well, it's not quite a melee, the little dust up that happened a couple of nights ago in Detroit at Caesars, Little Caesars, you want to call it Caesars Palace, Little Caesars Arena, for the foreseeable future, whether that's a minute or five or ten, Jonesy's not with us. Um, I will let him make his point at some point when we get him back in, but the uh, the the Gremlin's creeping in in the early stages of the show with Jonesy, so we'll uh, we'll get him back into the mix. But again, one game for LeBron James and two for Isaiah Stewart. Now, I'll say this, and if you didn't tune into the show yesterday, first of all, why weren't you? Because you can listen anytime as well. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify. Google, wherever it may be, subscribe, rate, review, tune in anytime. So even if you're not listening right now, live, you know you're listening anytime. I said yesterday that I thought that Isaiah Stewart would get potentially five, but probably three. And I didn't think that LeBron was deserving of any suspension at all. And I stand by that as well. Even though it's been it, it, the punishments come down and it's a game for LeBron, listen, I'm not going to lose one second of sleep over it. It's not going to ruin my day. It didn't ruin my evening last night. I wasn't shouting from a rooftop, this is a travesty LeBron J. No, listen, they gave him a game, fine. I didn't think he would get a game. I didn't think he should get a game. But the fact that they gave him a game, fine. So be it. But I really think Isaiah Stewart deserved more than two games. And the large part of that, in my opinion at least, Is is it too much of a stretch to call it an embarrassment for the league, an embarrassment for the game, especially in Detroit, mere days after the 17-year anniversary of the malice at the Palace? Listen, anybody that's tuning in right now, I don't care if you're 5 or 75, man or woman, you've played a sport, boy or girl, you've played a sport where you've been injured. Or hit or hurt or done wrong by somebody else on the field on the ice on the court something has happened where you felt that you were again done wrong by injured hurt a dirty shot a cheap shot hit when the ref wasn't looking a foul something something has happened and you've been so pissed off that you just want to haul off on your opponent, maybe even your teammate, but haul off on your opponent. Or you want to scream and curse and yell at the official, at the opposing player, and you want to get up in their face, and you want to go nose to nose, and you want to maybe start something. Certainly we've seen that at all levels in hockey. And I'm not here to rag on hockey, but certainly we've seen it in hockey. Certainly we've seen it in football. Sports that have that that physical component to it. But you know what? Whether you're a weekend warrior, whether you're a little leaguer, whether you're an old-timer, whether you're semi-pro, whether you're pro, you've got to control your emotions. You've got to keep yourself in check. So as angry as Isaiah Stewart was at getting hit by LeBron James, whether it was a legit apology or a legit... Um, attempt to squash any animosity or heat right off the bat, LeBron James immediately, after hitting Isaiah, attempted to extend the hands and say, sorry, 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 didn't mean to. Now, maybe he did mean to. I don't believe he did, but maybe he did mean to. Either way, he attempted to squash things right away. Isaiah, in the heat of the moment, was having no part of it. Got up, tried to get right up in LeBron James' face. Fine. There's no suspension. You're probably going to get kicked out, but fine. It's the fact that it continued, and it continued, and it continued and continued. Multiple attempts to restrain Isaiah Stewart. Multiple attempts to hold him back, to pull him back, to get him to the bench, to get him to calm down. And he kept coming and kept coming to the point where he's shoving members of his own team, and not just fellow players, staff members, older security staff, men and women on the training staff getting shoved aside as he's trying to run damn near the length of the court to get at LeBron multiple times, taking on anybody and everybody in his way to the point where it then goes into the tunnel towards the Pistons locker room and he's shoving people into walls out of the way so that he can try to run to the back and maybe get around to the other side to come at it from another angle and get to the Lakers bench. That's embarrassing. Like, listen, did I sit up on the edge of my seat when I first saw it? Sure, absolutely. Did I tweet a video yesterday where somebody, I I still don't know who's responsible for it, and it's funny as heck. Somebody dubbed in Jim Ross from the WWE. One of his great calls of Stone Cold Steve Austin coming to the ring, and that was dubbed over top of Isaiah Stewart. I don't even know. I, I'm, I'm totally putting him on the spot here. If, if, if Lance can even find it. Nah, actually, don't even bother, because it's just going to sound like a wrestling call. Don't even bother, Lance. But you know what I'm talking about, folks. Check out my Twitter handle. That's not even meant as a cheap plug if you want to see the video. But it was pretty funny. So listen, am I capitalizing on this even by talking about it? Sure, yes. But I'm not the NBA I'm not the Detroit Pistons, and I'm not the National Basketball Association. If I'm the NBA right now and I'm in the ivory towers in New York, or if I was yesterday or the day before, I'm looking at this thinking, man, this is not what we want our game to be. Just as a quick aside as well, I don't know if we want our game to be Kyle Kuzma's uh 10 times extra large pink sweater walking in. I don't know what the hell that was all about. He looked like he was straight out of the Lorax with his sleeves draping two feet past his wrists. But that's beside the point. If you didn't see it, folks, find that on social media too. Kyle Kuzma's pink sweater. I think Sportsnet even tweeted out as well. Uh, uh, listen, I'm the last guy to give out fashion advice. I got my own issues from time to time, but I don't know what Kyle Kuzma was thinking. But putting that aside, going back to the point at hand, Isaiah Stewart, If I'm the league, I can't have that. I can't have you, A, running around wild on the floor like that. I can't have you going crazy with blood dripping all over your face. I can't have you shoving members of your own team and your training staff and your coaching staff and your security staff to the floor and unable to control yourself. I can't have you taking on multiple players on the other team or at least attempting to. And I can't have you going after one of the greatest stars in the game today and one of the greatest stars in the history of the game as well. I can't have that. So you know what? I need to send a message. And I don't think a two-game suspension is enough of a message. And then this brings it round all the way, full circle, to the question or to the discussion, the argument that we have nearly every single time something like this happens in the NBA or in the NHL or Major League Baseball or the NFL, et cetera, is the role of the Players Association. And I think Jonesy hit it yesterday when he said to me, well, what other infractions in the past can we look to? Where has precedent been set? And that's a fair question to ask. But do we have to look at precedent every single time? Or can new precedents be set each time something happens? And when I bring up the Players Association... They have a role in that precedent or new precedent being set because are they there to protect the player that could have or would have been hurt? Or are they there to protect the player that incited the whole thing or maybe even if he didn't incite it, escalated the whole thing and refused to de-escalate? The answer is they're there to protect both. I get that. But to me, it comes down to the common sense factor. I mean, I don't know if it's a fair analogy, but any parent that's listening right now, and even if you're not a parent, you were, you, you were either a sibling or a friend or a neighbor, where, again, I'm going to say I would hazard that nearly every single person, if not every single person listening, has had some sort of dust-up, minor or major, in their life. And you were either the instigator or you were the victim. But did you de-escalate or did you escalate? Did you calm the situation or did you inflame the situation? I know as a parent, I've only got one kid, so I don't have the siblings going at each other. But I had an older brother. I would imagine, I think, thinking back into my childhood, if my brother was beating on me and wouldn't calm down... I might take heat. I might get grounded for a day or two, but he's going to get a week. He's going I'm not going to get one day and he gets two if he's the one that is starting the whole thing and refusing to end it and continuing to come and come and come and come again and just waves of anger and emotion spilling over to the point where he can't calm himself. He's going to get a week and I'm going to get a day. Or he's going to get a weekend and I'm going to get a couple hours. Right? So I just, I just don't think the punishment fit the crime. And I'm not here to, to completely skewer Isaiah uh, Stewart. And at the end of the day, if we circle back to 10 minutes ago, I did say I thought he'd get five, but I assumed it would probably land on three. So maybe you're listening right now going, what are you even worrying about? He got two, you thought it would be three. It's only a one-game difference. I just don't think when you compare it to LeBron's one that it's enough of a gap. For LeBron James to swing his hand, to draw contact, but then do nothing else except extend a hand and then stand back, not like LeBron was still running after Isaiah Stewart and looking to go chest-to-chest and trying to have that fight. He was standing back 6, eight, ten feet. Even his teammates that got in the middle, other than maybe, maybe Russell Westbrook kind of standing there in his, in his boxer stance getting ready to throw down, which to me was whatever. I mean, he's standing there with, with, with fists raised, ready, but he didn't do anything. He didn't swing. He didn't even try to get through his teammates or whatever. So to me, the Lakers did little to nothing, and this was all. In fact, the Pistons as well, and rightfully so. No other player was announced the suspension or fine, but I I just thought two games for Stewart wasn't enough. And maybe we're maybe we're arguing, or I'm arguing semantics here by saying two versus three. I just I, I thought that two was not enough for Isaiah Stewart. Putting that aside, a very busy night in the NBA last night with ten games in the association. Off night for the Raptors. In fact, they're off again tonight. They won't be back in action until tomorrow when they face the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies. Oh yeah, by the way, go to Utah and beat the Jazz by one. Ja Morant with 32 points. He's only 9 of 30 from the floor, but 11 of 14 at the stripe. Again, 32 points in the ballgame, 7 assists, 4 boards, a couple of steals for Morant as Memphis jumps above 500 and gets one of those rare victories in Utah. In fact, three players on the Grizzlies go for 25-plus as Bain had 28 and Jackson Jr. had 26 in the loss, 23 and 13 points and rebounds, along with five blocks for Rudy Gobert. So if you think you're going into Memphis and having an easy time with the Grizzlies, that ain't happening. So the Raptors will try to get back on the winning track tomorrow, uh, that game against the Grizz tomorrow evening, and then the road trip continues on to Indiana on Friday when the Raptors will face the Pacers. And why do I bring up that game? Oh, yeah, by the way, One of the best teams in the league this year, the Chicago Bulls. And listen, this is bound to happen. We talk about it with the Raptors all the time. 10-10-62, 10 10 games that you just won't win for whatever reason. It's not your night you get blown out. 10 games that for whatever reason, no matter what you do, you're winning. You might be facing the best team in the league. The, 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 The rim, the hoop might look like it's 10 feet wide. Every shot's dropping, and you are not losing. It's those 62 that are ultimately going to make or break your season. So maybe last night was one of those 10 games for the Pacers where just everything went their way. But they throttled, I mean throttled, the Chicago Bulls in the Windy City. The Pacers beat the Bulls 109-77. So the Pacers are still three games below 500, but they're basically nip and tuck right at the same mark as the Raptors. So these next two for Toronto are by no means a check mark or a gimme on the skid. Raptors got to take care of business in one, if not both, if they hope to head home with at least two, if not three victories on this road trip, sitting right now at only one and three. The Pacers last night beating the Bulls by 32 points. Everybody in the starting lineup for the Pacers had 12 or more, so bonus leading the way with 21 points, 11 rebounds, four assists. And uh, Malcolm Brogdon was 16-7-4, so a big win for the Pacers, setting up, uh, again, a more difficult end to this road trip for the Raptors as uh, they've got Memphis on Wednesday, Indiana on Friday, and then only a day's rest to come back after a 13-day six-game road trip before a tune-up against the Boston Celtics on Sunday. So a tough stretch coming up for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, The Raptors hoping to get some good news in the next couple of days as well regarding Uh, OG Ananobi and still awaiting the return of Utah Watanabe. There was rumblings the other night that OG, who we thought was going to be out for two to three weeks, might make a return. Now, ultimately, he didn't, but it's obviously gotten on our radar a little bit here that there could be an earlier return coming for OG, so might he be able to get in the lineup tomorrow uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies? And Watanabe, it was now, I believe, two-plus weeks ago that we had heard that he was close to returning or close-ish to returning. And, in fact, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't want to you know misrepresent, but um, the day that I was down, one of the days that I was down at the OVO Athletic Center, I believe Nick Nurse had even kind of hinted. He might not have said it word for word, but even hinted that not only was Watanabe and Pascal Siakam close to returning, it almost sounded more to me like Watanabe was closer than Siakam. And, ultimately, Pascal returned and has been back for a while now, And we still have yet to see Watanabe. So hopefully, uh, whether it's tomorrow or by Friday, hopefully we can get Utah Watanabe back in the lineup. If you're you're a Raptor fan, uh, you're kind of chomping at the bit to see Watanabe out there because I think he could help his versatility, his length uh, on the offensive end, his ability to get to the hoop. I thought he showed some positive signs last year uh, with the team down in Tampa, and there was definitely uh, high expectations for him to be part of the rotation and part of the second unit this year. And the Raptors could certainly use the help, use the bodies right now uh, as they try to kind of get themselves back to that 500 mark uh, in the midst of this tough six-game road trip. Uh, Speaking of the Toronto Raptors, We've got something special coming up in a couple of minutes. We're going to step aside for a moment and uh, hopefully get Jonesy's glitches all worked out and bring him back into the mix. But we had a chance yesterday. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to do it live just because of timing and scheduling or whatever else. But we're going to bring you a lengthy chat that we had with not one, not two, but three-time Hall of Famer. Lenny Wilkins, former head coach of the Toronto Raptors. We spoke to him yesterday, and we're going to play that interview for you when we continue on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, and please rate and review the show as well. We had a chance yesterday to chat with former Toronto Raptors head coach and three-time Hall of Famer. He's in as a player, he's in as a coach, and he's in as an assistant coach with the 92 Dream Team as well. Here's our conversation with the great Lenny Wilkins.
1: Uh, coach, this is the first chance I've had to talk to you since uh, the Raptors have won the championship. It's the first you know time we've really, and it, it seems like it's been so long. It's NBA years go so quickly. What were your thoughts when you saw Toronto finally rise to the pinnacle and know that uh, you had a little hand in helping build the game here in Canada?
2: Well, I, I was happy for them. Uh, we had great fans there. They supported the team. And and I felt that uh, at times we had potential, uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, but uh, it doesn't always happen. But I was happy for them. I thought they played hard. I thought they deserved it. And uh, so certainly uh, the fans had to be very pleased, and it showed that uh, they liked basketball because they supported the team throughout. Wow.
0: You know it's interesting, Lenny. We're we're approaching the three-year anniversary of that uh, championship. I mean, at the end of this season, it'll be three years, and think how much has <laughs> happened in the NBA, let alone in the world, in the last in the last three years. It has been so bizarre to see how things have been folded, especially for the Toronto Raptors specifically. When we look back to the uh, to the bubble restart, and then last season, spending an yeah. entire year south of the border in Tampa. Can you kind of come at it from, whether it be from a player's perspective, a coach's perspective, what this past year, let alone almost two years, would have been like for Toronto specifically and trying to you know, move a team temporarily for one season to another market, now reestablish roots in Toronto for this season and just the tumultuous times that it's been for all the Raptors from, from the top on down?
2: Well, it it had to be difficult. It it couldn't be easy, uh, you know, because uh, you know your family, your friends are all in Toronto, and and now all of a sudden you got to be someplace else. Uh, so uh, being in the bubble had to be difficult for all the teams, you know. And uh, but you know we're trying to be uh, they were trying to be secure and safe and things like that because of the COVID. And then uh, to have to play away the whole time. Uh, I I can't imagine. Uh, I I just know it had to be difficult for them. But give the players credit. Uh, They they tried to keep their focus. Uh, They competed. And, uh, you know, it's never an easy situation. And uh, so no matter where they would have to be, it's not an easy situation. And hopefully we get through the COVID situation. It's getting better. The vaccines have helped tremendously. And I think that, uh, you know, hopefully uh, a year or two, we can look back on this and say, boy, what a time.
1: Coach, when you look at the way the league is going now, uh, fewer fouls being called, it's coming back to a little bit more physical time. Um, what are your thoughts on watching the way that the pendulum swung one way with everybody shooting threes, and now it's coming back a little bit, where you're defending, you're able to defend those guys and be a little bit more physical.
2: Yeah, well, I, you know, I like the idea of that. A guy can't jump, get you in the air, and then jump into your space and get the foul call. I, you know, I was always against that. I never liked that. So, but, but, you know, uh, hey, this is a great game. And if a guy puts his hand on your hip, touches, you know, that's fine. I, I don't think you should be calling a foul every time down the floor. But at the same time, you know, if it's a legitimate foul, call it. Uh, you know, I mean, don't let guys get away with it. You know what's a foul, what's not a foul. I mean, and uh, and one good innovation uh, I like is that uh, a coach can challenge uh, like they do in football, you know, he can have a challenge, you know, I think they get what one or two, uh, uh, a half and, uh, you know, and if you, uh, if you don't get it calls your way, you lose the timeout. So, so I, you know, I think that that's good. Uh, but you know, I think guys, uh, have got to move the ball, get to the basket, utilize the total game, not just the three point. The three point was a nice innovation, but, then we got crazy because that's all everybody wanted to shoot was a three-point shot. You know.
0: Speaking with Lenny Wilkins, you know, Lenny, we can go in so many different directions. Jonesy and I have been hammering on this the, you know, for even just the first month of this season, the way that the game seems to have changed so much already and the players having to thus adapt to, hey, they're not calling this anymore or they are calling this still and, 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 and trying to figure out what the refs are doing. But the one thing I wanted to say to you, and I, I'm going to assume you'll agree with me, for years, for years, one of the things I've noticed in the NBA that I would love to see officials clean up and the game clean up, and, and I'm going to imagine a purist like you would, would maybe feel the same way, we could see a carry called on almost every possession in the uh, league, Lenny. The way that, the way that guys are yeah. putting that hand down at 6 o'clock and, and, and literally carrying the ball and holding the ball sometimes and masking it as a quote-unquote dribble, that's the one thing I would love to see kind yep. of uh, hammered down a little bit more.
2: Well, you, we, we, you are right. We agree on that for sure. I mean, I, uh, you know, you couldn't do it in the old days. I mean, they didn't allow that. And and uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, two things. One, the carry, I don't like, and then the euro step. You know, uh, it's almost walking. I mean, why give? I mean, these guys are so talented that you don't need to give them an extra step. <laughs> so. So yeah the the carry uh I, I think needs to be cleaned up and uh and i think that the euro step you know uh some guys do it very legitimately others uh don't so th- those are two areas that uh we can do a whole lot better at
1: coach i want to i want to get your take on um there's a new arena in Seattle they got a hockey team out there i know that area near and dear to your heart you you brought the only championship to that to that franchise up there uh in the northwest and it's actually terrible in my eyes that both seattle and vancouver there's no team in the northwest except for portland that that was a nice little triangle a nice little rivalry there with the arena going in uh in seattle the new arena the hockey team there how far behind can the basketball team be
2: well, it it shouldn't be too uh because you know uh hockey and basketball are compatible. And uh and you know uh the the Climate Pledge Arena, I've been in there, I've seen it, I've been to a hockey game. Um and uh, it certainly uh would be great for basketball as well. So I hope it's not too long. You know, I I don't want to jinx the situation, but I hope that uh <laughs> They see that because basketball is still very popular in this area. You see uh, a lot of people walk around with sonic gear uh, from the the championship team that was here. And uh, so I, I think that the fans would definitely support it.
0: Speaking with Lenny Wilkins, you know, it's, it's interesting, Lenny, we think back to some, you know, Raptor memories and celebrating the uh, NBA 75th uh, anniversary and, and uh, thinking back to the anniversaries that, that have uh, come uh, just the, a couple of seasons ago for 25 years for the Toronto Raptors and a lot of people that still have grisly memories as well. I think for people in Canada... Um, as much as they pull for Seattle, there's a lot of folks still that would love to see the Pacific Northwest get two teams and have one go into Seattle and Vancouver. I don't know that that will happen, uh, but Seattle is certainly deserving. And it's, it seems, I, I would kind of echo your sentiments, just the history of that market in Seattle specifically. I can't imagine it's going to take long. Now that the Kraken are there and the building is in place, the league's got to go back there. And whether it's an expansion franchise or a relocation, it can't be long. And and I wonder, uh, Lenny, will, will Sonic's fans be, you know, I'm kind of drawing that comparison, I guess, in other sports. Will it be... You suddenly became, become a fan of Team X if it's still – is, is it going to be a new team name, do you think? Or is it going to be the Sonics? Is it going to be bringing back the history of that franchise even though they have been re- relocated? It's kind of a, this sort of uncomfortable zone of, yeah, we got a team back, but it's not really the Sonics we once had, right?
2: Well, it'll never be that. But, but certainly they have the rights uh, to the name if they want to use it and uh, whether they do or not I, I don't know but certainly uh basketball uh the, the fans will come uh because it, it it'll it, it'll be their team there and and so uh who what kind of, what the name will be i have no idea but i agree with you i think that uh, both areas both cities vancouver uh really didn't have a chance i thought it was poorly handled i thought it it wasn't marketed as well and and you know that's just for my observation but i i think both areas are tremendous i think that it would do basketball would do well in both areas and uh so we'll have to see what happens but certainly uh you know we we're, we're one of the high tech cities in the world uh seattle and certainly it could uh, afford it it could support it and i think it would be good
1: Coach, looking at the league now, um, what impresses you? What, I mean, you've watched this league, you've been in it, uh, played in it, coached in it, you've been an observer. What, what impresses you? What, what do you really like about it, and
2: what's going on right now? Well, I, I think we have great young talent in the league. Um, I mean, I really do. But I, I think that, uh, you know, we, we've, uh, the coaches have got to work with them and help them to understand the game. Uh, it's not just about shooting. But the, the thing that I see with a lot of teams, not every team, but a lot of teams is that the defense isn't as good as it should be. I mean, I mean you know, uh, a part of the game uh, when you play defense uh, uh, is, is how to switch, how to rotate, how to play the screen and roll, you know. Uh, how to to rot, uh, rotate and cover the open man. Uh, all that is stuff that got what guys worked at in the past, and and so you know don't penalize the defense because it's good. Uh, you know people just have to know how to move the ball. So you know those are areas I think can get better. Uh, I think like I said, the talent is great. There's great talent out there and. Uh, These guys, uh, if you work at it, I think they can be good at it.
0: Coach, how challenging do you think it is to be a coach these days? I mean, we could probably talk pro sports in general, but but dealing specifically with the NBA – It seems like there are fewer and fewer practices and fewer opportunities to practice, whether it be because of the back-to-backs and three games and four nights and the CBA limiting how much time you can actually have with the players on the floor. It really is difficult, it seems, these days to be a coach and to be able to have the type of impact that you're talking about.
2: Well, I, I think it all can be done because we did it. When I came in the league, we played four games and five nights many times, you know, but... Uh, the coach has to be smart enough about how the run is practiced. You know, I mean, if you got four games of five nights, yeah, you you may have a practice, but you don't have to kill guys in practice. You know, you you need to understand about how to set up your scouting report. You know, how to cover it, stuff like that. But uh, at the same time, you know, always have your players prepared to play. So you know, it's uh, it's all in how you do things. And it can be done. Uh, let me tell you something. There are a lot of guys that uh, they're smart. They know the game. They are uh, and and can be good coaches. But uh, if they don't have to work at it, hey, listen. When when I first started, uh, I I had one assistant. You, you know, these guys got three and four today. <laughs> hey or or you know, or seven so, and eight <laughs> or seven and eight, yeah, i mean you know there's no reason why you can't cover stuff and be ready
1: hey coach who's your, who's your must watch team right now
2: yeah, well, i thought uh, last year phoenix uh i, I like the job that Monty Williams does, and I thought that they had a chance to be in the playoffs and they were. Uh, I thought Milwaukee had a chance to be in the playoffs and uh you know they uh they have talent uh and uh and 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 you know uh dallas uh has got some talent uh, there are a few teams young teams that I think are going to be good that uh they need a little time to come together but and to to get to know one another, you know, uh, Atlanta surprised a lot of people last year, but uh, I thought Mc, Nate McMillan did a good job, and uh, so you know, the, we we got talent in the league. It's just uh, a matter of coming together, working together, and uh, you know, uh, being uh, coming ready every night to play. You, that's the commitment that has to be made by the players. <laughs>
0: You know, Len, it's interesting you threw at a, a number of teams there in terms of teams that you like watching and that have the talent that you speak of. And maybe this speaks to uh, something that Paul and I have been discussing on the show quite a bit the last little while uh, from a football perspective is, is the parity that seems to exist in the National Football League this season. And I think we could apply that. To the NBA as well. I mean, we're coming close to the quarter point of the season, and at least in the East. I mean, we could say the West as well, but certainly in the East, it seems like there's at least ten, if not twelve, teams that are going to be you know scratching and clawing and <laughs> battling for those playoff spots. And and maybe that again speaks directly to the talent overall, where there's a lot of good teams in the league right now.
2: There is, there is a lot of parity, uh, a lot of good uh, pickups and trades. Uh, where players have gone to certain teams and fitted in very well, so yeah, I I, I think there is, and uh, and I think that's fun. It's fun to watch, you know.
1: Coach, do you like the play-in tournament? Do you like the kind of expanded playoff system?
2: Uh, that I'm still that I'm still growing to get to that. I'm not there yet, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but. Uh, I like the old system, and uh, but but you know it, it's something, and uh, maybe it'll grow on me. I'll have to watch it more and see.
0: Speaking with Lenny Wilkins, Lenny, I want to I want to shift gears back to the Raptors and reminisce here for a second. And and I and I say this somewhat selfishly because one of our colleagues is obviously a man that you know quite well. I don't know if you've kept up with uh, the latest in his life and what he's doing, but uh, Alvin Williams is now a broadcaster with the Raptors, a colleague of ours, and. Anytime Alvin has a chance to talk about the 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 you know the heyday of the Raptors and his time with the Raptors, I don't think he can get out of a conversation without mentioning Lenny Wilkins and the impact that you had on his career, let alone on his life and his growth as a player, as a person. What was it about Alvin that you saw as a young player, and 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 the opportunity that you gave him to be such a key cog? in that veteran-laden team with Vince and Antonio and, and Charles Oakley and the rest and, and to put the amount of responsibility in Alvin's hands that you did?
2: Well, you, you know, the thing that you saw immediately is that he wanted to be good. And he listened. And he paid attention. And he wasn't afraid to get out there and work and try things. So, uh, and And when you have a young talent like that, that is willing to put the time in, is willing to hear what you're saying, is willing to experiment with these things. Uh, that's wonderful, and and so I it never doubted me that uh, he could make a difference, and 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 I think that's what we want all young people to understand, is that they can make a difference. But we have to be able to communicate. You got to talk. Uh, we we've got to hear each other. We got it respects a two way street. If you want it, you gotta give it. So and and Alvin was always there. So for me it was fun. I mean, I love working with young people. I think uh, you know, I tell people all the time, because I have a foundation where I raise funds, uh, for the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic. Uh, young people are our future. They're tomorrow's doctors, lawyers, you know, athletes, uh, politicians. They're the future. And if you're willing to put the time in and they, uh, on the other hand, willing to hear you and see and listen, uh, the, uh, it's open up. It, it's wide open for young people.
1: Coach, I, I want to stay on the same reminiscing vein that Eric was on. Um, when you first came to Toronto, what did you see in the team in terms of potential? Because, I mean, they got into the playoffs and you guys did well. And you're, you know, you're one shot in many people's eyes away from making it to the NBA final.
2: Yeah, no question about it. I, I, You know, I just felt that uh, the talent was there. The the guys were not afraid to work hard. And when we came to practice, I mean, we got it done, what we needed to do. If it was to improve our rotation on defense, uh, we did it. If it was execution, when when the up-tempo game is not there and you had to go to a half-court game, then okay, then let, let's make it pay for us. So uh, the guys uh, had great attitudes, uh, and I loved that. And like I said, uh, the fan support was tremendous. So for me, it was a fun experience. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed my time there.
0: Uh, Speaking with Lenny Wilkins, Lenny, I'm going to sound like I'm saying or asking a similar question to what I was saying in regards to Alvin Williams, but another guy. Uh, that that was a key part of that success you're speaking of and being right on the brink of the championship. He's a broadcaster now, too, and uh, no doubt he's going to be knocking on the Hall of Fame's door real soon in the next couple of years. Vince Carter. Um, Lenny, you probably haven't, you, you probably haven't uh, you know, paid too much attention to this, and understandably so. The, the Canadian men's uh, national soccer team is having a ton of success right now trying to get back to a World Cup for the first time in decades, and there's a lot of people right now in this country that are talking about the impact of today's players on young soccer players and how that will propel generations of soccer players to come in Canada. That certainly was the case with Vince Carter and what he did, what that team did, what that moment in time did to establish basketball and to set up the, the vast amounts of Canadians that we are now seeing in the NBA and that just continue to come year after year after year?
2: Well, it, it, it's always that. Uh, when you have a great player and young athletes see uh, the success that these guys generate, because of their whole hard work, because of their knowledge of the game. Uh, there's no question about it. And uh, Vince had tremendous talent, uh, you know, and, and young athletes, when you see a talent like that, you know, it's, uh, I had the same experience when I was growing up uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn. I, um, my role model was Jackie Robinson. I saw his fierceness, his competitiveness on the baseball field. I I used to go to Ebbets Field. I saw him steal home plate, and and nobody had done that at that time. So, yes, when there's great talent around, it certainly rubs off, and the young kids in the area see that, and then that becomes sort of a role model for them uh, to say that, yeah, maybe I could do that. I I think I can, you know, and so it's great examples.
1: Uh, Lenny, uh, many people may not know this about you, but you were a pretty fair baseball player, and you talk about Jackie Robinson. I know one of your friends was an old Dodger that my dad used to watch and and really enjoyed watching, and Tommy Davis. And I'm just looking at the state (laughs) of the world now, right? Am I right? I'm
2: right on that, right? Yes, you are. Yes, you are.
1: Very close friend. We grew up together. I'm I, a Brooklyn guy. I'm looking at the state of the world now, Lenny, and kind of the tumultuous time in, in society. Um, what do you say to people as we try to put people together to move forward with, you know, all of the stuff that's going on in, in probably over the last year and a half, two years? It's really come to the forefront. You've seen a lot. You've been through a lot. What do you say to people?
2: Well, I, this is the area where we can be better at as human beings. We need to talk to one another. You know, you need to communicate. And I tell young people all the time, don't be afraid to ask questions. You've got to learn to talk. I, you know, basketball has been great for me. Uh, it has allowed me to travel the world. And I've met some wonderful people. Uh, I was in South Africa, and I met Nelson Mandela. And I asked him, because I had went out to Robbins Island where he was in prison, and uh, and I said to him, how could you not be bitter? And he said, because my people needed me and I knew I could help them. And and, and so, you know, people today, uh, we've got to communicate, we've got to talk to one another. We don't do that, and, and we need to do it more and more. Uh, we have to handle social media better uh too many times on social media people can go on and say things and without worried about whether they hurt somebody's feelings or whatever uh and i and i just don't think that's right i think that you 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 you're entitled to your opinion you know and certainly uh we want young people to speak up and everything but at the same time i think that uh, protest is good but i don't think that every time you have a protest you have to destroy something you know i mean that's just me and and but i feel that uh we we've got to build that gap with young people we've got to talk to them we've got to encourage them we've got to let them know that they can make a difference
0: coach i i asked this respectfully um we've had the opportunity jonesy and i many times over the years to speak with wayne embry given his role with the raptors and and we've had similar conversations like this with wayne you know you you've you've seen a lot and that's why i say i ask this respectfully you've been around a long time you've seen a lot you've lived through a lot a is this the worst it's been in a long time and b based on things you've seen come and go are you confident because of your belief in the youth and so much more are you confident? that it can be turned around and it will be turned around and we can kind of right the ship in the world, in the United States, around the globe?
2: I I think it can. I think we can. I mean, we need people to step up, to speak up, you know, to uh, help young people. I mean, I I think we can do that. Uh, But we we still have some – there are some people that really all they care is about themselves and and they feel and and that's why social media becomes dangerous because uh there's they can go on there and say things without consequence but uh we've got to really care about one another we 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 really do and we got to let the world know that uh we can be better than we've shown and uh you know and on certain times we have come together as people, and we need to continue to do that.
0: There is Hall of Famer Lenny Wilkins. In fact, as I say it again, three-time. Hall of Famer Lenny Wilkins I really enjoyed that conversation that we had uh, with Lenny Jonesy I thought the the stuff off the top about you know Seattle and, and reminiscing about the Raptors and basketball and everything else was great but those last couple of minutes and uh, and and thinking back to his opportunity to meet Nelson Mandela and the theme that he kept coming back to whether it was basketball, whether it was life, whether it was. Uh, 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 race relations, whatever it was, he continued to reference the youth, the youth, the youth, and his faith in the youth and his appreciation and respect for the youth and having to work with young people. And, and for an 84, I believe, 84 year old man yeah, to still yeah. have that mindset and that approach. And if, by the way, not to not to say that you shouldn't sound good at 84. He sounds fantastic still. I mean, he sounds like a man half his age uh sound, I, I was yeah. impressed with like just everything he stood for and everything he had to say uh especially as it related to the youth
3: he sounds like the guy that we interacted with for years here in toronto it just doesn't yeah. sound like yeah. he's aged a bit so mm-hmm. um and uh, look uh, you know i i didn't want to further date him but i remember being a high school kid uh in toronto and going to watch the buffalo braves play at maple leaf gardens and Lenny Wilkins was was a player coach and he was a terrific player he really was as good a as good a you know coach as we see him or you know we talk about personal interactions with people Lenny Wilkins was a heck of a player he really was and uh it was it was interesting it's kind of crazy for me all these years you know you watch a guy as a as a kid growing up playing the game and then you get to get to you know meet him and kind of work with him in a sense being part of the media um you're right he, he he it just doesn't sound like he's aged a bit and sounds like he's still uh right in the mix to try and get a, a team back in the northwest in seattle they need two though to make the rivalry get the get the three of them going again portland vancouver and seattle
0: well and I, i've got to assume that when and i say when not if when seattle gets a team i referenced towards the end of our conversation the chats that we've had over the years with Wayne Embry as a a senior advisor to the Raptors. He has lots of different roles with the Raptors over the years. I've got to assume it's going to be the same thing for Lenny Wilkins. I mean, whoever ends up uh, owning that team and running that team, they'd be absolutely foolish to not have Lenny Wilkins as a senior advisor to that franchise, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, you have to. I mean, he's their only championship was thanks to Lenny Wilkins, you know, and some of those guys are gone. You know, Dennis Johnson was the MVP. He's, he's passed away. Like Lenny's a guy that is still connected to the franchise and you need that Eric. And, and I say this as I get, become an elder Statesman in, in, you know, uh, if, if life is a golf match, I'm, I'm somewhere around 12 or 13, man. I'm on the back nine somewhere and you need those links to history. You need that. And it, it helps uh, pass the game on properly. It helps uh, cultivate the respect for everything. And and you know we we run into people now that that never saw a Michael Jordan play, never saw a Magic Johnson play, and you know they think the league started with you know with LeBron in two thousand and three. Hang on a second. There there's there's a lot more to this. And I love to, as you say, talk to guys like Lenny Wilkins and. Wayne Embry and get back. And I want to know about Bailey Howell and Elgin Baylor and, and George Mike and, and, you know, how great Jerry West was. And those are things that historically there's no, you know, a visual documentation. So it comes from the stories and, and they need that.
0: Folks. If you like the show, Smith and Jones, make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones, wherever you get your podcast, please rate and review as well. Thanks to Lenny Wilkins, for joining us and thanks to all of you for tuning in to Smith and Jones.